0: Let's pray and we'll dig into, into God's word together. Lord, thank you for these testimonies of ways that you've been working in our hearts and circumstances and relationships. Lord Jesus, you are alive today and you love to work with power and goodness. And so thank you for what we've heard. Lord, I pray that you'd continue now as we open up your word, help me. Give me wisdom, give me the right heart, and the right clear thinking, and help me to be in in sync with your scriptures. And we've been talking about prayer now for a couple weeks. Lord, use this passage to take us on, to move us ahead, to grow us in what you call us to in terms of our prayer lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Go ahead and do that. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd like each to have one that you can study along with us. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible, and we'll give you one that you can use this morning. Isaiah 64, in the Bibles we're passing out, is on page 623, so go ahead and and turn there. So this morning we're going to continue a topic that we started back in Isaiah chapter 63, and I've called it, Prayer That Moves God to Act. Now, there's a danger in talking that way that I'm aware of, and I want to make sure we avoid that danger. There's a danger in not saying anything about that, but there's also danger in, in talking that way. Here's how it works. Isaiah does teach us how to pray. He does give us concrete suggestions. See, there's this prayer starts in chapter 63, verse 15, and all, all the way through chapter 64. And what we saw in chapter 63 is is four things Isaiah encourages us to do. To, To ask God to look down from heaven and see our need. There's a humility that comes in praying that way, which is very helpful. And he encourages us to persuade God with powerful reasons. And he encourages us to express God's absolute sovereignty over everything and our complete dependence upon him for everything. And he also encourages us to go into detail about our circumstances. So here's, here's four suggestions that Isaiah gives about how to pray in chapter 63. And we're going to see some more here today in chapter 64. But there's a danger in talking about how to pray. And the danger is that you could start to think that prayer is all about you know, praying the exact right words in, in this certain particular spiritual order, that your prayer is structured in some particularly biblical way, and if you don't get it all structured right, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to work. I mean, you can view prayer kind of like a ladder going up into heaven. And unless you climb every rung in the exact right order, you've got to climb and climb and climb. Maybe I'm going to connect with God here finally after a time. That's not the biblical picture of prayer. So that's the danger. You can start to think there's all these steps. and No. Prayer, here's how it works. The moment you turn your heart towards God the Father... In Jesus' name, and just say, Father, you immediately have his undivided, absolute attention. He's moving towards you, ready to work in your life. Just like that, that quickly. Okay, so it's, it's not like this ladder you've got to climb rung after rung after rung. It's more like, prayer's like this, picture this river, this river flowing with God's love and presence. And the moment that you turn your heart towards God in Jesus' name, you're there drinking. You don't need to do this and that and that and that and that and that first. You just bow down and you drink and you you receive. So it's not a ladder that you've got to climb up rung after rung after rung, saying this, getting the order right, making sure you say that. It's a river. You're there. You can drink. But it's a big river. And there's more that you can experience of God's presence in prayer. And there's more that you can receive from God's power through prayer. And that's why God has Isaiah in this passage and in many other passages. And that's why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. God teaches us how to pray. Steps we can take so that we can drink more. Receive more of God's presence in prayer. And experience more of God's power answering our prayers. So don't see these steps from Isaiah 63 or 64 as rungs on a ladder that if you get them all right, you'll get to God. See them, I mean, you're already there. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm here. You're there, you're drinking. Oh, you're good. But now these steps are ways that you can experience more. So here's what we're gonna see in chapter 64. Five more ways we learn about how to pray from Isaiah. We're gonna see that Isaiah prays big prayers in verses one and two that he appeals to God's passion for his name, that's also in verses 1 and 2, that he prays on the basis of God's promises, that's verse 3 through the beginning of verse 5, he laments Israel's tragic conditions, very interesting, in verses 5b, second half of verse 5 through verse 7, and then he prays using powerful reasons. Now two of those we already covered in chapter 63, praying on the basis of God's promises and praying using powerful reasons. So we're not going to go into a lot of detail. I'll read those verses, make a couple of comments, but we're going to go deep in the other three that we haven't looked at yet. So let's start off with the fact that Isaiah prayed big prayers. By the way, I would encourage you, take Isaiah 63, verse 15, all the way through the end of chapter 64 sometime, and pray through these verses, applying what Isaiah prays to your circumstances, making his words, I mean, don't just like read it through by rote, but, but read it and then pray it and then put it in your own words and then go on to the next verse and pray it and very, very powerful. Especially when you come to chapter 64, verses one and two. Look at this big prayer that Isaiah prays. He says, Oh, that you would rend, that's like tear open the heavens And come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. That's a big prayer. So here Isaiah is praying God, tear open the heavens and come down with your power in such a mighty way that the nations all are rocked by your coming and being here. Now, now, what, what is he exactly asking God to do? Here's the setting. You can see it in, in the surrounding verses. He's praying because Israel has sinned against God, has been punished by God, taken out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been leveled, burned, the temple's been destroyed, and the remaining survivors have been taken to Babylon as slaves. And so what Isaiah is asking God to do is change this, change our hearts, bring us to repentance, free us from slavery in Babylon, bring us back, rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. So what he's saying is God, tear open the heavens and come down and change our hearts and change our circumstances in such a dramatic way that the nations will say, whoa, God is real. God is awesome. And they're trembling with the reality of God. And do you feel what a big prayer that is? That's is a big prayer. Shake the nations. When was the last time you prayed? Shake the nations. Now, there's a danger here also. Because some of you, I would guess, um, you're going to hear this and think, I knew I really shouldn't pray about my own concerns. Because that's Selfish. But God doesn't have time for that. I need to just pray about the big things. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Okay? In the Lord's Prayer, you have one of the most specific individual requests that our Lord Jesus urged us to pray regularly. What is that? Give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't get more specific, more individual, more tangible than that. Lord, we need breakfast today. And then we're going to need lunch. And then we're going to need dinner. Okay, agrarian society, crops, the whole thing, very important. So Jesus calls us to pray for our own specific individual needs. Let me just challenge you. Do you have a concern right now in your heart that you haven't set aside time just to kneel down or sit at your desk or whatever you do and bring this concern before the Lord? Do you have a concern right now that you haven't brought before the Lord in prayer? If so, Why? Why haven't you brought it before the Lord? If I can just challenge you a little bit, if you have a concern that you haven't prayed about, there's something wrong in, in your thinking, okay? And there's things wrong in my thinking too, okay? And then all of us, we're all working on this stuff. But I want to make sure you hear this, that if you have a point of specific concern about anything in your life, the Lord, he's, he's waiting for you to bring it before him and to ask him about it, okay? But also, he wants us to pray big prayers, just like Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't get much bigger than our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Let the saving power of your kingdom come. Let your will, your saving will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't get much bigger than that. That is a massively big prayer. Now, why would Isaiah pray this prayer? nation-shaking prayer, and why would Jesus call his followers to pray, let your saving kingdom come upon the earth? I think the most, at least the answer that I thought of this week that I think is the most helpful, at least it was for me, and that is it's because he's chosen to bring more of his saving power to earth when his people pray and ask him to. That's why. Because he's chosen to have prayers, Lord, pour out your saving work, Upon this world, he's chosen to respond to those prayers, to have those prayers move him to bring even more of his saving power. When you say, take five or 10 minutes to to pray, God, pour out your saving work. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. More of God's kingdom comes and more of his will is done on earth than if you had not prayed. Now, let me give you an example. David Brainerd. You guys have heard me talk about David Brainerd. Okay, one of my heroes. 1700s, early 1700s. uh, Young man in his 20s. He was a missionary to the American Indians in the New England area, and because of the labors and the cold and the poor diet and the hardships, he came down with tuberculosis, and ended up dying in his late 20s from all of his efforts. Now after he died, um, Jonathan Edwards,, okay, who uh, was going to become his father-in-law, because David Brainerd was engaged to one of Jonathan Edwards' daughters, but they never got married. He died first. But Jonathan Edwards was going through David Brainerd's stuff and he found a journal that David Brainerd had been writing recording his spiritual pilgrimage, the interchanges between him and the Lord Jesus and prayer and his struggles and his joys and the ups and the downs. And he never intended to have this be published, but Jonathan Edwards found it and published it. I would urge every one of you to read that. It is amazing. But listen to the big Prayers that he prayed, just recorded in his journal. Monday, April 12th, I was especially assisted to intercede and plead for poor souls and for the enlargement of Christ's kingdom in the world. Lord's Day, April 18th, I was enabled to plead with fervency for the advancement of Christ's kingdom in the world. Monday, April 19th, In the morning, I felt the power of intercession for precious immortal souls, for the advancement of the kingdom of my dear Lord and Savior in the world had special enlargement. That means that the Holy Spirit was giving him a heart to plead for the enlightening and the conversion of the poor heathen. See a theme going on there? So has that been a mark of your prayer Have you taken time to plead with God for the advancement of his kingdom in the world? If not, let me challenge you. The river is big, and you'll be drinking more of God's presence yourself as you pray that, and you will be used powerfully by God even more to bring his kingdom to earth in saving ways as you do pray that. Now, two specific suggestions. One is, this is an awesome book called Operation Worlds, and I would encourage you to Get a copy, Amazon's got it, they got everything, they got Operation World, and uh, it will give you how to pray for every nation on the earth and for every people group on the earth. So I suggest that. They've also got a kid's version. My Jan, my, Jan, my wife Jan and I, uh, when our kids were younger, um, very often in the evening, we would use that book and pray for a different unreached people group every night. It's very powerful, but, but in addition to that, how about Praying, God, tear open the heavens and bring your saving power upon my neighborhood. Save my neighbors. Do you pray that way? Or even bigger, Father, pour out your saving power in such breadth and strength, saving people in San Jose that everybody's talking about what you're doing amongst the churches in San Jose. I mean, why don't we pray for another, like, Jesus people? Remember, some of you were alive in the 60s and 70s during the Jesus people movement. It was an amazing thing. Everybody was talking about People are falling in love with Jesus. People are following Jesus. People are being baptized in the ocean. Amazing things are happening. Let's pray for God to move with that kind of power or even more here in the Bay Area. And then let's just, like, start doing that. Right, It struck me, I mean, during that, they were like talking to everybody they met about Jesus. Well, you know, you don't need to wait for permission to do that, right? You can start doing that right now. But these are big prayers, ways to, big, ways to pray big prayers. So that's the first thing I would suggest that you you stir into your prayer life, is to pray big prayers. Now, are you supposed to stop praying for your individual personal needs? No, okay. Just add to this Praying some big prayers. That's one suggestion from Isaiah. Second, appeal to God's passion for his name. In Isaiah 63, uh, we see Isaiah seeking to persuade God with powerful reasons. Now, There's one reason that is the most powerful of all before God. And it's what Isaiah prays here in verses 1 and 2. He says, oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Okay, so he's praying, tear open the heavens, come down and change Israel's hearts, bring us back to you. And then he gives God a very powerful reason. This will make your name known to all the nations. So they'll be trembling at your presence. This is going to display who you are, God. Now, why does he pray that way? Well, when you, if you start reading the Bible, you know, through, it, it's not too long before you'll start to discover something that's, I think it's puzzling the first time you read it. And you'll start to see that God's purpose For everything that he does is to display the glory of his name, to show his greatness. Everything God does, you see it in chapter after chapter, book after book, God's driving, burning passion is to display the glory of his name. That's puzzling, though, because we also know that That God is loving. And it's like, where's the love in that? But here's where the love is in that. That is the most loving purpose God could have. That's the most loving thing God could do for you is to do everything he does to display the glory of his name because your, just like Ian was sharing earlier, your highest joy is in beholding God's glorious name. The more God dials up the spotlight on his glorious name, the more joy we have. So as God is passionately committed to displaying the glory of his name, that totally satisfies your longing for joy, and it's this huge win-win, which is why then we pray for the glory of your name. Do this. And we see this all through the scriptures. This is how people pray. Look, I've got some scriptures up here. Let's go with Psalm 79.9. You'll start, if you start to notice this, you'll be seeing it everywhere. Underline it, underline it. Psalm 79 9. Help us, O God of our salvation. So there's a request. Help us, help. Why? For the glory of your name. See, that's God's passion. Deliver us and atone for our sins. Why? For your name's sake. Do you pray that way? Look at Psalm 106, 47. The psalmist prays, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations. Why? That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. We will praise you and that will display your glory. So do it. Look at Psalm twenty-five eleven. This time he starts with the reason and then ends with the request. For your name's sake, O oh Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So what's the reason he's appealing to God for for him to be pardoned? God, if you, my, my guilt is great. And if you'd pardon someone with as great guilt as me, oh, you're going to look good. You're going to look really good. See, isn't this encouraging? This is amazing if you get this. Never should you let your sinfulness keep you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ because the more sinful you are, the more the glory of his mercy is seen. And again, we don't sin that grace may abound. Okay, don't, don't go there. Romans 6, all right. But see, what an amazing prayer. My guilt is great, so please pardon it. Why? For your name's sake, O oh Lord. Do you see this? This is so powerful. Okay, and then then how Jesus opens up the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, we don't use the word hallowed very often, but what it means is let your name be exalted. Make your name great. Display the glory of your name. And that's where the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy name. So, how often when you bring requests before the Lord do you ask God to answer your quest because it'll display the glory of His name? I mean, how often do we pray, Lord, Lord, do this because it'll bring you glory? Do this because it'll display your, your fame? How often do we pray that way? See, this is the most powerful reason that we can pray because this is God's burning. Passion is to display his glory because that 's what 's most loving for us. that 's the best thing he could do for, for us is to show his, his glory. And so when you pray something like, "Lord, save my neighbor for the glory of your name," you just attached your request to god 's highest passion and purpose. I thought about this illustration. See, this works for you. god 's passion for his name is like the space shuttle. Taking off, okay? Love those pictures? Massive power. It's going somewhere. Now, when you, when you pray and say, Father, save my neighbor for the glory of your name, you've just attached that request like, like you've attached it to the space shuttle. It's going somewhere. You understand that? So pray and appeal to God on the basis of his name, his glorious name. Third, Plead with God on the basis of his promise. We already saw that in chapter 63. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but, but just notice how he does that in verses three through the beginning of verse five. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. Maybe an analogy, a, a description of Mount Sinai. From of old, no one has heard. Or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, and here's the promise, who acts for those who wait for him. The other promise, verse 5, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. So here's what he's saying, God, you've promised to act for those who wait for you. You've promised to meet those who joyfully work righteousness and remember your name. So God, I'm here, I'm waiting on you right now in prayer. You've promised to act for those who wait for you. Here I am, I'm waiting for you. So fulfill your promise. You've promised to meet those who rejoice in doing righteousness. I'm not perfect, Father, but I, my heart longing, my joy is in being obedient to you and I am re- seeking to remember you. So see, he's, he's laying hold of God's promises. He's saying, Father, you promised that you would act on behalf of those who wait for you in prayer. So here I am, fulfill your promise. So I would encourage you to, to sprinkle into your prayer promises. Just, just sprinkle promises into your prayer. Um, I like fried egg sandwiches. That's kind of my standard lunch when, I, when I'm home, Okay. You know, you, you get the Friday going, okay, and you put, I like it, especially with a lot of salt and a lot of pepper on it, okay, so you can like really taste it, it's really good, really healthy too, all that salt, really good stuff. Anyway, uh, but see, if, you, if it was just a Friday sandwich, it wouldn't be quite as tasty, and, and I think when you speak God's promises back to him and say, Father, you've promised to do this. You've promised to act on behalf of those who are waiting on you. I, Father, am waiting on you right now So fulfill your promise. It's your mercy. I'm not earning it by my waiting on you, but you've promised in your mercy to do this, so do what you've promised. I think the Father just smiles. So sprinkle God's promises into your prayer. Stir God's promises into your prayer. That's the third one. Okay, fourth. This is really interesting. Lament your tragedy before God. So here's the question, what do you do if you are really uh, grieving over some need, if you really are mourning over some difficult situation, you're really struggling emotionally, you're discouraged, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling low, what do you do? Now we can tend to think that, that basically we either are going to get angry with God, or we're going to pretend before God. But see, here Isaiah gives a third option, to lament in prayer with God. Have you ever read the book Lamentations in the Bible? Lamentations, okay? It's it's a whole book of laments. It's Jeremiah's lamenting for the same thing that Isaiah is lamenting here. Israel's sinful state, Israel's tragedy, Israel's suffering. So when you lament, it's that you come before God and you mourn before him, and you sorrow before him, and you grieve a tragic situation before him. So look at how Isaiah does this in verses 5, second half of verse 5 through verse 7. He says, Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we've been a long time, and shall we be saved? Do you you hear the discouragement and the struggle there? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, take us away. We're so weak, sin blows on us, and we're gone with it. Verse 7, there's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. So do you see how he's lamenting here? He's sorrowing, he's grieving, he's, he's mourning the difficult plight situation that Israel's is in. So now, now, why do this? There's probably lots of reasons why. Lots of really powerfully, emotionally helpful and But I just want to mention two that I thought of. Two reasons to do this. I've experienced these a little bit. I haven't suffered that much. But one reason is because as you open your heart up to God, and you open up that part of your heart to God that's grieving and that's sorrowing, and you grieve and sorrow before the Lord for the the desperate situation you're talking about, two things will happen. One is that you will sense him grieving and sorrowing with you. And there will be great comfort that will come to you from that. So you're not having this little grieving, sorrowing part of your heart that's, well, that's not very spiritual, so I'm just going to kind of do that. No, no, just open that up before the Lord. And you will experience his comfort coming upon you. And in that comfort, you will sense that he's going to do something. He's going to meet you in this. He's in control. He's going to help you. He will not leave you. He will not, he's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. He's going to help you. So you'll receive wonderful things from the Lord. The second uh, reason I think this is described, prescribed, encouraged in the scriptures is because God is your father, right? He is your father. And you, fathers, when your child expresses sorrow or grief or sadness, fathers, what happens to your heart? It just. And all of us are sinful fathers, okay? But God is the perfect father. And when you come before him and just say, Father, I'm suffering. I'm discouraged. I'm grieving. I'm so heartbroken over this. His heart just gets stirred. And it's just, it just moves him to act. He's a good father. He will help you every time without fail. So don't move towards being angry against him, but also don't just like pretend before him. Lament in prayer with him. Fifth suggestion here. And that is to plead with God using powerful reasons. Look at verses 8 through 12. And we also talked about this in chapter 63, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just look at how he does this. He's pleading with God using powerful reasons. Verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please, look. We are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion, another word for Jerusalem, has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire, speaking of the temple in Jerusalem, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silence and afflict us so terribly? Now, can you hear the power of those reasons that he's praying? He's saying, first of all, change us Because you are the potter and we are clay. You're the potter. You can totally mold us in any way you want. Change us. This is who you are. This is who we are. Change us. Feel the power of that reason. Remove your anger from us, Father, because we're your people. You've chosen us. You've redeemed us in spite of our sin. But, Lord, you've you've chosen to have us be your people. So save us. And then please stop being silent. Please stop punishing us, Lord, because look at how Jerusalem has been leveled. Look at how Israel, the the promised land, has just been devastated. Look at our neediness, oh Lord God. Look at our situation. Please stop being silent. So here's my encouragement to you. When you pray, is it just like a list of requests, you know, please do this, and please do this, and please do this, and please do this. God hears that, and you're there drinking from the river, and that's good. But why don't you give God reasons? Almost every prayer in the scriptures, you see the prayer appealing to God, seeking to persuade God with powerful reasons. So that'd be my encouragement to you. Plead with God using powerful reasons. Okay, so here's, here's, here's five things we see in, in this second half of Isaiah's prayer. He prays big prayers. He appeals to God's passion for his name, that space shuttle. He attaches his requests to that. He prays on the basis of God's promises, sprinkles promises like salt and pepper into, into his prayer. He laments his tragic situation before the Lord and he prays using powerful reasons. Okay, what questions does this raise? For the glory of your name, make me passionate for your name. I pray that often because I mean my heart's right there too, so often. And so, I mean, just exactly what Zach said, I would, we've got to be totally real before the Lord about you know, where we are. We don't stay there. We're asking him to help us, right? We're conf- Just like what, what Brand- the way Brandon led us in, in worship this morning. If we're not like this, then what do you do? Well, you ask him, help me, help me, and he will. So we're with you. I think that also has fulfillment, though, in, in them returning to Israel, returning to the promised land, Now, he didn't literally run the heavens. We know that when Jesus comes back, the sky will roll back as a scroll, right? That whole thing. So this is figurative language, right? For a dramatic inbreaking of God's power, totally changing what's happening here. And that's what God did when he had Israel go back to the promised land and had Cyrus and and that whole thing. So I think he's really praying, He's using metaphorical language. Yes. So definitely, the, the second coming is the ultimate answer to that prayer. But I I do think, and when you read all of Isaiah, I mean, hasn't he used that same language in talking about what God's going to do for Israel in the next few decades of their life, right? Yeah, I I think he's really praying it here. And are there times in the Psalms when when David just vents? I'll have to to look at that and see. I I can't think of any off the top of my head, but but I think he's really praying here um, because it happens. Yes, and of course he will literally do it at the second coming. You're exactly right on that point. Yeah, the literal fulfillment of this is going to be second coming. That's right, yeah. And if you're tempted to vent, tell the Lord, you're, I, I, I just feel like I'm, I don't want to vent here. Help me. I'm, I'm not happy. And, uh, and he loves you for that too. Hey, we need to, if you have other questions, talk to me afterwards because I need to wrap this up. But let me just close with this Remember what happens as a result of Isaiah's prayer here? Okay. Isaiah and Jeremiah and maybe Esther and Daniel, the remnant are praying for God to do this. The remnant are all praying along these same lines. And what does God do? In a few years, he brings his power upon Cyrus. This is astonishing. And Cyrus just simply says, let's just let all of Israel's slaves go back to the promised land. Not only that, let's fund their rebuilding efforts. We will pay for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And not only that, one of the things, I I thought of this week, uh, 440 B.C., Nehemiah gathers all of Israel, the rebuilding has been happening, he gathers all of Israel, and he reads to them from the Old Testament scriptures, and remember what happens? They all start to weep. They all say, we have sinned against God. We are back. And so this prayer gets answered. Now, one more quote. James Fraser. Uh, James Fraser was a missionary to the North Burma area and has a powerful story about what he learned about prayer. But but look at this quote. He says, "Paul may plant and Apollos water; that is, other people may preach the gospel, encourage, do different things. But it is God who gives the increase, and this increase can be brought down from heaven by believing prayer." I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished by the prayers of earnest believers. Solid, lasting work is done on our knees. I want to call you to that solid, lasting work that's done on our knees. For your neighborhood, for San Jose, for yourself, your own heart, your family, your job, the nation's. Let's stand together. Let's pray this over us. I'm so thankful, Lord, for Isaiah 62, 63, 64, this section on prayer. And I've been hearing many reports, Lord, of how you're stirring us to pray more here at Mercy Hill. I pray that you would do that even more. Help us understand that solid, lasting work is done on our knees. Help us, Lord, to bring before you everything that's going on in our hearts, not to try to pretend before you, but to be honest about where we are and to ask you to change us. Lord, help us to pray about our own specific individual concerns and for big, global prayers. So teach us these things, Father. I pray we're all at different places, we all have different areas in our prayer lives that we need to grow in. Would you move us ahead, in those exact areas that we need to move ahead in, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.